Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Freeman Means Business Wonder Women in Business podcast. Everyone has a story to tell, and our Wonder Women in Business podcasts give a voice to those women whose story is meaningful, moving, and compelling. We share their stories with the world so that in their shining, they give permission to other people to do the same. So I have to tell you, folks, today's guest is a personal friend and a personal favorite of mine. Uh, Mignon Crawford was a college roommate of mine at LSU and a sister in Kappa Kappa Gamma. So I'm super excited to have her on my podcast today. Uh, Mignon, welcome. Thanks, Susie. Good to be here and talking with you guys. Well, good, good, good. So you, you folks out there who listen to my podcast will notice that she calls me Susie, not Susan, <laughs> and that's okay. Um, <laughs> The people who know and love me best and most and longest do call me Susie, and that's fine with me. So let's just make one thing clear before we go forward. This podcast is focused on Mignon Crawford personally, and none of her thoughts, attitudes, beliefs, opinions that are shared here today represent SunTrust. Um, so Mignon, now that we've gotten that out of the way for the lawyers, uh, let's make Thank sure... Thank you. Yeah, let's let, let's let the audience know what you do. Great, thanks. So um, I work for SunTrust Bank, uh, headquartered here in Atlanta, Georgia, and I'm a part of their treasury and payment solutions business on the wholesale side of the bank, meaning uh, the we bank businesses in the wholesale side of the bank versus in the retail side of the bank, we uh, bank consumers. Uh, so we're working with businesses across the nation uh, to facilitate their payments and uh, receivables. So anything to do with uh, payments related to wires, ACH, check processing, uh, fraud, credit card, and then all the information reporting that goes along with that to help uh, reconcile receivables. So that's our organization that I work with and I work on a specific team called client integrations we've been uh, I've run that team since uh, the beginning of the year or I'm sorry since the beginning of 2018 we just stood it up and what we try to do is increase our speed to revenue and client first experience by uh, ensuring that the client's integration points with our bank, meaning the files that are coming across, uh, the different pieces of information back and forth, data elements, those sorts of things, are um, processed and set up quickly and seamlessly when a client, a new prospect, which is going to be a client or an existing client, has a technology infrastructure change. So we help that facilitate that process, make sure um, the client is super satisfied and we get the work done on our side. Awesome. Awesome. So folks, um, what I believe she's saying is that their clients are institutional clients. So I cannot walk into her division and open an account. This is not a retail client. This is a big business client. So um, it sounds to me like a huge job and I know Mignon's personality and her, the person makes certain that every client is loyal, satisfied, willing, and able to, you know, refer business and give a, a positive testimonial. If I know Mignon, that is the case because she definitely 
cares about client satisfaction. So that's amazing. What a, what a big job you have, my college friend. <laughs> it sounds big. It's, I tell you, Susie, you, you hit the nail on the head. The whole, um, the whole way our team wins is by building a relationship and having a relationship with that client and prospect and really understanding their business. Because when you have that relationship and you're uh, talking and you have open dialogue, you're going to uncover problems or issues or hurdles or roadblocks that you never would have seen just filling out a form or emailing with each other. It's a, it's a definite um, relationship building service that we do. I love that you said that. So I'm a trainer. Most of the listeners know that. And what I train is business development best practices and how to convert a prospect to a client. Um, is a tough thing to do, but it starts with the needs assessment. You have to understand what's meaningful and important to them and what they're trying to achieve. And I always tell my students, if you will, or my uh, clients, if you will, that understanding as much or maybe more about that client or prospects business and industry is the key to successful business development and long-term relationships. So Again, not just filling out a form or sending in an email or checking off a box. I love that you focused on that relationship and, you know, understanding the client needs. That's amazing. That's amazing. So tell me a little bit about, now that I know your uh, work day-to-day, -day, uh, your work life, tell me a little bit about what you do outside of work. What are your favorite things to do? Like reintroduce the mignon I knew from college. Reintroduce her to me now as a, a wonder woman in business. Okay, great. So when I'm not working, uh, I have a, a really strong reputation or brand for playing and being involved in the community. And you probably know that from college. Yeah. Uh, so every Saturday morning, I get up and I have a running group that I go run with. And it's a combination of uh, friends from work and friends just from the community and friends from my church. And it's a diverse group uh, of women and men. I, I, we actually don't have any other diversity in, uh, in the group related to uh, African-Americans or, um, or Asians or uh, Latin Americans, but we are diverse in both our age and uh, gender and sexual orientation and the the fun thing about this group is that it's a combination athletic or health social and it, we we talk about personal problems the things we're facing with our families we talk about uh, business problems and solutions and and leverage that with each other so that's one piece of it uh, the next piece is that I'm uh, extremely active in my church here in Atlanta, St. Luke's Episcopal Church, and that uh, faith is a big part of my life, so I spend a lot of time uh, working with their outreach ministries and, and just basic worship at St. Luke's. Um, my partner, Montserrat Miller, which is a new partnership, uh, she and I have been together for just about a year, so that's uh, my personal life out there and then uh, I have a son Nicholas Knoll and Nicholas is in his first year at University of Alabama which 
makes me, it's hard to even <laughs> say those words. No, I was like, oh my gosh. Um, I can't even. Being a that. graduate of LSU, it's, it pains me, but yes. he's loving it and he's growing and learning. So that makes me, uh, that makes me proud to have that. So I want to see here. Um, yeah. I'll follow you on Facebook. I think you're dynamic. I think you're amazing. My opinion of you. <laughs> has not changed except for to be even better than it always was. Um, Y'all Mignon was a very hard worker. She worked a job and worked in school and did well. Um, she was a tough cookie, but beautiful still, or and beautiful, I should say. Um, and her son is the spitting image of her. He's gorgeous. <laughs> he is just a beautiful young man. I was like, that's so mignon. You can totally see her. But um, that's amazing all that you do. You're a very, very busy woman balancing all that. Um, I want to I talk a little bit about the diversity of your running group. Um, that is purely a product of where you live, correct? That is, um, it would be nice to have a more colorful group, if you will, and all are invited and all are welcome. It's just a product of the de demographics, right? That is correct. Um, and actually, friends and I have had a lot of conversations about this recently around, um, you know, the diversity of our social network. So when we're at work, uh, there is a lot of diversity at SunTrust and in my particular workspace. And it is, um, and, and there was a lot of diversity in my education. Right. And then when it gets down to what does your social network look like, you know, I have uh, diversity Again, I'm, I'm going to speak specifically to African-American diversity when I'm speaking right now. I have, a, I have what I would consider some really close African-American friends that I've, um, that I've known for years. But I will say I am not happy with my social network diversity. You know, I I have made a conscious decision that I want to change that, and uh, that's something that I'm looking. I'm going to tell you an example. The question that was asked around the table was, when was the last time I've had an American African American person over for dinner at my house? That's a powerful question. And it was it it. I didn't like the answer for myself. So well, that's just something people, that, say that again. I think most people would feel the same way if asked that question. Um, I live in a very diverse culture here in San Francisco. Obviously we're the birthplace of the LGBTQ movement and it's you know highly diverse in that regard. But like you're saying now, I ask myself the same question and I don't like the answer. Right. Yeah. And it's not an, it's interesting because in the rest of my social network, that's not the case at all. Um, I, I would say the majority of time that I spend my closest friends at this point in my life are um, males over the, white males over the age of 50. Wow. And and not only that, 
I'm glad they have a friend in you because they're suffering a big blow these days in the media <laughs> they, movement. So they really are. So y'all white call male, and not only that <laughs> exactly. And they're they're straight white males. So oh, that's Lord. another yeah. yeah, that's another piece. So that's it's very really interesting popular. that that <laughs> exactly. Um, so yeah, that would be probably the most social time. And then um, across the board, LGBTQ um, folks. So it's not, it's not, I'm not, my particular social network is not um, heavily weighted in the LGBTQ, LGBTQ group of friends. Now I do have a lot of friends in that in that group but I would say the majority of the people that I spend most of my time with in a social network are straight white people. Well I will say again I think much of that not all um, it is a conscious decision um, but it's a conscious decision on everyone's part but I'd say much of that is due to the geography. I mean, you're in Atlanta, it's a big white city. I mean, um, for, for what you do, I mean, like, you know, banking is known for, you know, the white man. I used to work at State Street Corporation in Boston and I wrote a right. really, really funny blog about my time there that I'll send to you by link after this podcast, but you're gonna crack up. Um, State Street now leads the way in lifting women and closing that gap and, I'm very proud of them, but I'll tell you when I was there, <laughs> they asked me not to even go by Susie. I mean, um, this one woman. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. If, that's why I switched to my birth name, Susan. She said, you know, if you want to be taken seriously, you need to <laughs> lose the big hair, drop the Susie. And she took me to Talbot's and we bought a bunch of brown, black, navy, blue, and gray suits, pantsuits. <laughs> So yeah, it's, oh, you know, financial services, banking, that's very conservative, conservative industry, especially even in Boston, which is pretty liberal, you know? So I would imagine right. in Atlanta, it's pretty um, conservative as well. Well, speaking of- Well, and just yeah. to, hang on, just to close the yeah. loop, I can't, I can't stop that particular conversation without throwing sure. in um, a shout out here. While Atlanta, there are, a, it is, Atlanta is home of Martin Luther King Jr. And while we do, um, while there are conservative pockets in Atlanta, I, I'm really proud of this city and the legacy and um, where where we can get to here. This this city is um, it's phenomenal. I love that. I love that. I can just feel your pride in your city. Uh, I kind of teared up. Um, it's an apropos time to bring that up. You know, his birthday was yesterday. Martin Luther King Day's Monday. That's uh, or, that's really awesome. Uh, wait, Martin Luther King yeah. on the twenty first. Yeah, Martin yep. Luther King Jr. Yeah. So that's amazing. I'm I'm so touched that you are uh, have this communal feel and this attachment to Atlanta. Um, I had relatives yeah. in my kid. They have since passed, but um, I love Atlanta and I thought about living there. I chose Boston at the time, but it was on the top of my, maybe top three, uh, Raleigh, Durham, Atlanta, and Boston. And I decided, you know, I want to get out of the South and see what the rest of the world is like out of the South. And uh, I did that, but I still visit Atlanta. I have a lot of friends, you and I both from Episcopal High School. And um, I have friends from LSU and 
um, Kappa, and we know a lot of people there, and I love Atlanta. So thank you for saying oh, that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we certainly sure. don't want anyone to think that um, that the work that that great man did isn't still working. I mean, it is. People are still, um, and I think we need to continue that work. That's why I do what I do. I mean, um, you know, creating equity in the workplace for all, you know, men, women, right. people of color, everyone. So let me ask you, moving, moving, still in the direction of uh, your profession, uh, you can get personal on this podcast anytime, as you know, we, that's how we are, folks, Mignon and I right. are the same people we used to be, what you see is what you get, WYSIWYG right here. So um, what is your proudest professional accomplishment? Let's see. The I always kind of prepare for this question with, well, what's my proudest accomplishment? And it's not a professional one. So uh, professional side, uh, one of the things that I was charged to do, I was in, I'm, I've been with SunTrust Bank for over 28 years. So I've wow. been at one company for a very long time and you don't hear that a lot. Never. Uh, inside that company, I've had probably eight, six to eight really strong careers within the company. And one of the uh, careers I had with the, the division that I was working for, um, basically we were selling ourselves and uh, I was, I was in part of that team. It's about 160 employees and we were going to package ourselves up and sell us. And I would, I was literally putting myself out of a job. But I, I think that was one of my proudest moments was to be able to separate the emotional side of, oh, my gosh, I'm about to lose my job with, you know what, I'm going to show up, I'm going to do the best I can for the bank and for packaging this department up for sale and working with the teammates and working across lines of business, doing the right thing for the bank. And I'm going to trust that it's, it's going to work out right for me in my career. And it did just that. It was, um, you know, not letting my insecurities, which right. is an important word, and my fear, another important word, uh, interfere with my potential. So wow. it's one of those things where you have to invest in your yourself and what you're doing and believe in what you're doing and know that that payoff will come at the end. Well, I want to say um, <clears throat> the Mignon that I have known for a thousand years, um, actually, uh, that makes us sound old, but not really a thousand years, but a very <laughs> long time. This is someone who would put the greater good above her own personal gain. So that is not surprising to me. I'm delighted that it worked out well for you, obviously, all these years later. Um, I do recall um, when recruiters came to campus and they were looking for, you know, a go-getter, somebody with leadership skills. You used humor in your interviews on campus. You used um, a go-get-em attitude, um, you know, and that's, that's rare for a college kid. I mean, they're so, you know, we're so young when we're in college. Who has that kind of um, personal self-love and self-respect? Uh, and to be so bold, you were assertive, but not aggressive. You were confident, but not cocky. And I can totally see how 20 year, year, 28 years later, 
you have been rewarded with such gain at this one company. So bravo, and thank you for sharing that. But you know, you teased us a bit with saying, what is your proudest accomplishment? I think that I should ask <laughs> you that question. Yes, I'd love to tell you about that. So back in 2001, uh, a, a, a friend of mine that was also a client of mine at the bank, and I believe 2001's the date, asked me to join him and his fiance on a fundraising bicycle ride. Uh, it was a, uh, we were raising money for AIDS vaccine research to benefit Emory University vaccine research here in Atlanta, uh, also at, in Chicago, and then at UCLA. And the, uh, I, I got involved or I signed up for the ride. The client talked me into signing up for the ride. Uh, the group put me with a group of people here in Atlanta to train with, and it was 17 of us, and those 17 people are still some of my best and closest friends. So we trained together. We raised money. We raised like $117,000 to benefit AIDS vaccine research. And a day before the trip, uh, to, it was actually, it was a trip, it was a ride from Amsterdam to Paris. So a uh, hundred miles wow. each day, five days, it was oh a big deal. This was a big investment of time and money and fundraising. So wait a minute, so, wait a minute. I saw yeah. you on Facebook doing this. I was living in Hawaii and I was watching you and stalking you like I do. I was blown away, but I didn't realize where you were. Like I saw the pictures. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Go ahead, tell me more. I'm just so well, excited. yeah, so there's more. So there's a big punchline to this. So that particular ride where the 17 of these folks got together and did it, the day before we got ready to ride, the uh, production company that was putting on the ride said, hey, we're putting on the ride. However, we are filing bankruptcy and none of the money you raised is going to the beneficiary. Anger. So our group, our group of 17 were floored. We were disappointed. We were sad. The emotions were, uh, were all over the board. So we got together uh, the day before we were supposed to leave for Amsterdam. And we said, we decided that what we were going to do is we were going to go on this ride, learn everything we can about how to put on a bicycle ride, come back to Atlanta, re-raise the $117,000 and give it to Emory University here in Atlanta um, to their uh, AIDS vaccine research center. Wow. So we did just that. We went off. We, um, we learned how to put on a ride or took notes, all that stuff, came back home, put together an organization called uh, Action, Action Cycling Atlanta. And uh, we said, you know, what we're going to do is we're going to ensure that we underwrite the ride and we're going to give 100% of the money raised by these riders that are going to raise money. We're going to give 100% of that back to the donors. That's going to be our business charter model and how we're going to operate. Wow. So we, we came back home. Uh, the 
group is now in its seventeenth year. Oh my God. And we've raised almost three million dollars of um oh my one hundred percent donations back to Emory AIDS vaccine research. Wow. So, okay, um, so that must be what I saw on Facebook. Yes. So yes. every year we do we put on a ride uh from Atlanta. We go a hundred miles out on Saturday to this a uh, place called Camp Rock Eagle, spend the night, and then return on Sunday, a hundred miles. Well, I have so to that say, is. I'm not sure. My most proud accomplishment. <laughs> I'm not sure if this is politically correct, but I can imagine that is why you have the rock and bod. So amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if I'm supposed to say stuff like that, but you look good. I, I'm not kidding, you folks. She looks. She looked great in college. She looks as great as great or better um but that's amazing Thanks. i have chills from that story what a what a straight from the heart hard driving effort that paid off big time and continues to pay off that's amazing right um you that's, that's, i didn't know this yeah. i had no idea when i invited mignon to do this podcast um i knew about her position at the bank and and her growth and her both, uh, you know, intellectual and spiritual maturity through over the, over the years. And, but I had no idea about this. This is incredible. This is, this is among yeah. my top two favorite podcasts right here already. Um, <laughs> well, you, well, that's great. you know, my next question is who's been your best inspirational mentor, but I, I, I might say that you're among mine now. I mean, this is just such a <laughs> story. So who has been your mentor? Well, uh, uh, there's, there's been different people over time. Um, as I mentioned earlier, um, faith is my faith is real important to me. So I would be uh, not fully authentic with everybody on the podcast if I didn't mention that. So yes, my faith in Christ, although I don't actually have never met him. Um, <laughs> I do talk to him a lot. So that's, that's one of my, one of my mentors. I'm going to say my mom, um, she has been so supportive and encouraging of me over the years that um, my sense of security and self-worth has been driven by her. And uh, to me, that's super important. And I'm going to share my favorite, favorite quote from my mother. Some people always ask, oh, what's your favorite quote or what did you live by and that sort of thing. My mom told me this years and years and years ago. That I was probably in elementary school. She said, Mignon, only you can make you happy. You know, that and that has resonated with me throughout my life. Absolutely. She is a wise woman. So I know your mom, I know who you're talking about. She's great. Um, Another, I, I, you know, so let's just go back to Christ being one of your inspirational mentors and your mom. I think that's pretty much a power team right there. Um, <laughs> you're in good hands. But I always say, and, and not all my friends are believers, and that's fine, or, or they might believe yeah. know, they don't know, or they call it God, universe, energy, whatever, the force, whatever. So I am a Christian and I personally believe that um, when I say namaste to my fellow friends who are in, you know, my universe, 
that is the Christ or God within me respects and acknowledges and bows down to the Christ or God within you. So yeah, he is with you. I mean, you talk to him, he talks to you, he talks through you. And I think that what you did on that bike ride and raising that money is an example of his good messaging and how you implement his ideas or have great, beautiful, wonderful communal ideas of your own. Um, I know in this country in particular, we as a nation focus on individualism, whereas many other countries and their um, cultures, if you will, focus on um, communism, you know, communal, communal outreach. It's a broader, your family means more than just your bloodline, but here we're much more individualistic um, in general terms. So to see someone like you uh, think of family as a much broader picture than, you know, just your child or your mother and raise all that money for your fellow human beings, regardless of race, religion, whatever, um, is beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. So I, I think I'm going to put you up there on my list of inspirational people. Um, <laughs> now that I know all this about you. So, so this podcast, I, I did not realize would be, um, leave me speechless, if you will, or so full of surprise. <laughs> because I, I mean, I keep up with you on Facebook and I knew you in college and I got your number, but boy, you threw some curveballs and, and I just think you're amazing. This is fantastic. Um, you know that if, if you know what I do, um, I spend my life paying it forward and lifting women because I believe there's too much gender bias out there and I work really hard to combat that and to achieve equity in the workplace. So how do you, just to, to sort of relate with what I do on a day-to-day -day basis, how do you advise other women to support one another in business? So uh, candor and transparency are super important. So um, yes. under being confident enough to speak with candor with your with your fellow women workmates and have transparency around your concerns and fears and your vulnerabilities easy for me to say that that's super important so I, I think candor and transparency are important I believe it's important that uh, I, I'm a big believer in building your network and not name dropping network but right. true honest relationships with people um where you I, i'm terrible with names so when i meet somebody that i that i want to build a relationship some of the first things i do is what write down their partner and their children's name because i want them to know that i care enough to remember their their name so that's important to me um let, let me just say Another, uh, on that point, um, the whole transparency and, and you, you're talking about grit and courage to be real and, and the power of vulnerability. I don't know if you've read any Brene Brown or even heard of Brene Brown, but I would recommend an amazing book to you as a leader. It's called Dare to Lead. Now, Brene Brown is out of Texas and she's a rock star and I follow and teach a lot of her stuff. Um, the power of vulnerability allows others to be open, honest, and direct when you yourself as a leader show your vulnerabilities and, and questions you might have or, you know, things that you're pondering or conundrums you might face. 
the, these are opportunities for you as a leader to give permission to other people to be open, honest, and direct and transparent. So I love that you said that. That's a lot of what that, that really resonates with me. It's a lot of what I teach and live and believe. Um, and so that, that before you move on, I just wanted to say thank you for that and recommend that book. Sure. Um, another book, that, I mean, yes, I do know Brene Brown and I've, I've seen some of her stuff. Um, one, uh, another book that I'm reading right now that is on the same level, but much more at a business level, I think is important to share with anybody that's listening. It's, it's called The Culture Code by Daniel Cole. It's a management and leadership book. And it's really got some strong, um, strong information in there around the being a leader and working with a team and building trust and nice. being vulnerable and all those sorts of things. So I would recommend that book also to anybody listening to this. Well, I'm certainly going to get that book because, um, you know, first of all, I know, like, and trust you. Actually, I know, love, and trust you. So I will take your recommendation and buy that book because I'm all about uh, leadership. And, and look, the, the focus on women, that, that's much of my business, but my training is important for men too, because we got to work together. Um, it, it's it's yeah. not one or the other. It's all, it's everyone. But I will say, I always tell people, you know, if women would be honest, the world would crack wide open. So I love <laughs> seriously if we would just be open honest and direct and truthful and not live in fear or drop names and be fake or whatever so I love that you talked about transparency it's a very very important um it, it shouldn't just be a skill that you put on it should be something you live a fiber of who you are you know so some people think I'm a little too transparent but you know um I don't know I'm, I'm not thin but I'm see-through I'll tell you that so <laughs> Let me ask you this. What has been your biggest challenge or setback and how'd you overcome it? Um, in the workplace. Uh, I'm not, I'm not real. I don't have a good example of that right at this moment. I, I remember coming out of school and having some, having some disappointments around starting my career and, and that sort of thing. Um, what about personally? Any kind of challenge you, know, you can learn? Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you some of my biggest, um, my biggest hurdles personally have been relationships. Um, I have, and not relationships with, in a broad sense, but personal one-on-one -on -one relationships. Um, I don't have an excellent track record in, <laughs> in uh, marriage, marriages or partnerships, but I'm going to keep trying. So I'm not giving up. What, Just, let me ask uh, you, do you think your uh, commitment to career has anything to do with that or? No, none okay. at all. I think, right. uh, I think, I think it's a, probably more awareness of myself and, um, understanding relationships more one-on-one -on -one, personal committed we're going to do this forever relationships understanding who I'm entering those relationships with more than um, uh, more than it is 
something that either either party in the in the situation did wrong. Um, another thing that I have to maybe come to grips with that uh, is a cultural thing is you know when we grew up you got married stayed married and that was the end of it. Um, well, you, know, you know you're talking to somebody. This is my third rodeo. <laughs> so it's just uh, either I think either we're not uh, our our generation, Susie may not have been equipped with the skills and tools to enter into long-term relationships. That's one thought I've had. Another thought I've had is, well, maybe we're not supposed to uh, be in those long-term relationships forever because I mean, it, we're we not do grow and change. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Well, I think age has a lot to do with it. Culture has a lot to do with it. Uh, personal, you know, yourself has a lot to do with it. I'm married way too young and I, you know, within five months of my first marriage, I was like, what have I done? I don't know how many people know this story, but I know a few do. My father was walking me down the aisle at this ginormous cathedral, St. John the Evangelist Church in uh, Louisiana. And he said to me, I'm not sure this is the guy for you. I don't think he'll be intellectually stimulating for you. Now, I don't want to slam my first husband. He was an amazing person, but I was only 24. What did I know? And all I knew, I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to implement, but I knew I wanted to change the world. And I don't think that getting married at 24 and living my mom's dream was any kind of way to change the world. So I'm with you on that. Um, this is my third rodeo, like I said, but I'm sticking with this cowboy. He's amazing. He is, <laughs> you know, he is, um, you know, my best friend and, you know, we share everything. He respects so I guess I should put it this way. I don't fill any of his holes. He doesn't fill any of my holes. We are whole in and of ourselves alone as individuals. And we share these healthy, whole, amazing people with one another. We're not trying to complete, yeah. complete each other. Yeah. So there's a lot of, um, you know, respect and freedom in when you get to that place. So I, I have a mutual friend, our mutual friend, Ruffin Rodriguez, you know, Ruffin. I, I, I told oh, yeah. Yeah, when he was, we're still very tight. I love him. He's forever in my life. And I told him, I said, you know, when you become a five-star man, you will attract that five-star mate. And he did. Allison's amazing. Um, but that's how, I, that's how I phrase what you just said. When you become the best version of self, you will attract that person who appreciates you for who you are and doesn't try to change right. you or any of that. So that was very powerful that you shared a personal uh, challenge. And I, I, I don't know that, you know, my, my second part of that question was how did you overcome it? I don't know that we ever overcome that kind of challenge. I think that life is about spiritual, physical, emotional, and mental growth. And, and, you know, we forever should be growing in all those directions. So I don't know that we right. stop that. Um, I hope not. Yeah, it's not a, it's not an overcome type right. situation. It is like you said, it is just a growth situation. Yep. Yeah. You live with it. You embrace it. You learn every day. Well, tell us something. Well, you've already told me several things I didn't know about you, but tell us a surprising fact. <laughs> no one knows about you or that maybe, um, you know, so few people know about you, you want to share with the world. So I, I, um, I am an extrovert. I absolutely <laughs> love, people and being out in the world. I don't agree with the extrovert definition. I think the extrovert definition or I've been told is 
oh, you get your energy being out in the world and engaged. I don't. I love coming home and piddling or doing a little project that just I get to do. Like I've I've built some uh, I've built some chairs. I've wow. construction projects. I I love to fix little things on my own in a you know in a in a singular environment I get I get a lot of inspiration running I love my running group I love running with my running group I love running by myself when it's just me and my head I can't wait to say that someday I cannot wait to say those words um well actually I think I can but (laughs) but I'm gonna try that's my goal this year is to get back to running so I want to tell you um extroverts are confused. I mean, people are confused about extroverts. Let me put it that way. Um, Every individual, I I teach this stuff. So every individual can fluctuate or or, uh, dip their toe into gaining energy from alone time or in groups. It just depends. So if you've ever read Susan Cain's Quiet, she talks about ambiverts. So I, like you, um, I can work the room. I can speak to crowds of 4,000 people, not you know, sweat a bead of sweat, not get nervous, nothing. I mean, I'm fine with that. I can connect people all over the globe. I can network and build relationships. But, and I love that. I love it. But when I come home, I write in a journal or I take photographs or I uh, read poetry or a good book or like you, I nurture myself and my alone time and I value that and I regroup or refuel that way. So she calls us ambiverts. We, we sort I of like it. Yeah, we go both ways. <laughs> so, <laughs> can oh, there's so many things I could yeah. say right now, but I'll just hold on to it. So <laughs> I, I fall on the Myers-Briggs, I fall under ENFJ, but I equally am I. So EI, um, I, I teeter-totter back and forth from introvert, extrovert. So I hear what you're saying. I totally agree. Um, well, as this comes to a close, it has been so wonderful reconnecting, and I definitely want us to keep in touch through Facebook, by email, whatever. Um, I'd love to come visit you. Uh, tell me, if people want to know more about you, how do they reach you? Oh, gosh. Well, you, my Facebook page is open, so you can go check me out there. Uh, you can email me at Mignon, M-I-G-N-O-N Crawford. C-R-A-W-F-O-R-D at gmail.com. Nice. You can reach me there. And um, yeah. Well, awesome. Here's what we do next, Mignon and listeners. Um, Those of you who follow my podcast know that I always write a blog about the podcast and the person. So I will have a blog with Mignon's headshot and bio, and then we'll insert this podcast into that blog. And I like to call them blogcasts because I'm such a geek and I think that's an awesome name. And so you can access the blogcast through social media and I will also share it with Mignon so she can share it with her network. Um, it has been great connecting with you. I'm going to say goodbye to the audience. Is, is there anything you'd like to say before we uh, stop the podcast? No, thank you for letting me share my story uh, for other women that are listening to this. Uh, believe in yourself uh, because 
you, only you can do this for you. So get out there and, and be the best you can. I hear your mom in that. So only you can make That's it. That's right. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And I agree 100%. So everybody, thank you for listening and look for the blogcast soon. Have a good day.